Real quick, before we introduce the Gideon speaker this morning, first off, we're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 this morning, but we're also going to be taking a stop in Jeremiah 17 and Romans 8. So Matthew chapter 6 with Jeremiah 17 and Romans 8 along the way. But I want to share with you a ministry opportunity coming up. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and if you weren't with us, I encourage you to get online listen to it. I think they labeled it like uh, Church Vision 2016, and we talked about this a couple Sundays ago. The sound guys would have the copy of it. But we spent the first uh, 40 days of this year kind of seeking the Lord as individuals and as a church and what the Lord wants us to do. And we had a lot of different ideas come about. We shared those a few weeks ago, and a lot of them were praying about and still kind of uh, moving with it. But one of the things we've really been pushing here the last couple of years is this idea that it's not about us as a church. It's about Christ, and it's not about these four walls. It's about getting out there and representing Jesus to a world that needs to know him. So one of the ideas that came up was this idea of ministering to different groups of people that can't make it to church on Sunday mornings. And so we have three different families right now that go over to Oak Grove to the nursing home and Deschler, and what a blessing that is for them. And we've also been in contact with the filling home outside of Napoleon about going over there and getting a chance to do church for them on a Sunday morning. But uh, Richard made a contact with the uh, nursing home over in Holgate. And so on April 17th, April 17th, we're going to be sending a group over to do church at the nursing home over in Holgate. And the neat part about this is you're not only getting a chance to minister to the residents there, but you're also getting a chance to minister to the staff that's working, friends and family that may be there visiting. So April 17th, we're going to be leaving here at the church by 10.15. Uh, service will start at 10.30 and we'll be back by 11.30. So therefore, if some of your family members feel led to get involved, you can still all come together at church as a group. They'll get on the bus at 10.15, head over to Holgate, and come back by 11.30. Richard says he needs about 12 people. He thinks he needs about 12 people to go over there. So if this is something that stirs your heart, talk to Rich, pray about it here, but that's going to be going on April 17th. And these are the things we're hoping to do more of. You know, I keep thinking back to that parable where Jesus said, go into the highways and byways. Go to those people that need to know Christ, and let's go represent Jesus to them. So we're calling these some service Sundays. Um, They're going to be popping up here and there. We'll announce them. We'll let you guys know about that. So the first one coming up is April 17th, Holgate Nursing Home. We're going to go over and do church. If you're interested in that, see Rich. Need about 12 people. And the cool thing about it, not only do you get to tell someone about Jesus, is you get to ride the church bus. I just want to throw that out there. It's well worth it. So... um, before, though, we get into the message today, we get to introduce the Gideon speaker. Uh, Dick, where are you at there? If you want to come on up. Now, what camp are you from again? What Gideon camp? Putnam. Putnam County. Good old Putnam County. He's going to come up and share a little bit. And you know how much we love the Gideons out here. You know, one of our favorite verses is that Isaiah 55 where it says that God's word will not return void. And that's what we see here is the idea of just purely presenting God's word. And for some of you that may not know, one of the things that we like to do as a church out here is uh, if a loved one passes away or for other different reasons, a lot of times we as a church will give memorials in the form of Gideon Bibles to kind of make an eternal impact and plant an eternal seed there. And we think it's important here every year to have the Gideons come out and kind of share with what the Lord's doing. So uh, Dick's going to share here for a few minutes on what God's doing. Okay, thank you. And can you all hear me? Okay. Thank you, Pastor James. Uh, There was a, I was told this story. There was a young lady by the name of Pat. She went to Anderson College back in 1978. Now it's known as Anderson University. But her parents were not church people, but they encouraged her to go to Anderson college because it was a Christian school. You see, she had a she had attracted boyfriends that abused her. 
and they thought maybe if they could get her in a Christian college, she'd, she wouldn't run into those kind of guys. Well, she went on a date one night, and the guy hit her. And the next day, the Gideons were on campus passing out testaments to the students. And one of the Gideons passing out testaments realized that this gal, something was really bothering her. And so he engaged her in conversation. And he talked to her a little bit, and she told him what happened. And, and he took her to the back page of the testament and showed her the plan of salvation, how God loves her and and he, he wants everybody to be saved, what the remedy for sin is. And she accepted Christ right there. And the Gideon told her, he said, now you need to tell somebody what you did. So that night she called her parents and told them she'd accepted Jesus Christ. And they were pretty happy for her. And they said, well, when you come home this weekend, we're going to celebrate by going to church. <coughs> She left campus on Friday night, and she never arrived home. She was in a fatal car crash, and her parents were comforted by the fact that they knew their daughter went to heaven. And that little story just illustrates what the Gideons are all about. You see, the Gideons are a business and professional men's association that has one purpose— The only reason for the Gideons to exist is to win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that soul winning is done one of two ways. By personal witnessing, like that Gideon did to Pat, and by passing out God's word where people can have it and read it, like they were doing to the rest of the students at Anderson University. You see, we place God's word because in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 God promises that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish what he pleases and it will prosper in the thing for which he sends it. And standing on that promise, right now, the Gideons are passing out one at a time a million scriptures or over a million scriptures every five days in 200 countries and territories in 99, maybe going on 100 different languages around the world. God has blessed this ministry and outreach and our relationship with the churches. It took 93 years for the Gideons to pass out the first billion scriptures. It took 13 more years till we hit 2 billion. So you can see the Lord's using this in a geometrical progression. But the church, you all are the body of Christ. And I want you to think of the Gideons as just an arm of that body reaching out to bring people in. The church doesn't nurture them or disciple them or anything like that. Or The church does nurture them and disciple them. The Gideons don't. That's not our job. Our job is to win souls. And it's a very efficient ministry because our dues pay the overhead costs of operating Gideons International so that 100% of what's donated to the Gideons goes to purchase and place those scriptures around the world. And the 
quote-unquote last-mile distribution is by the local Gideons going there to do it themselves. I live close to Lima, so when Rhodes State, uh, we go out there and, and pass out scriptures to the students every year. So we just get up and go drive and take the boxes and put them in the car and go there. Our Gideon brothers around the world sometimes take those boxes of Bibles on the back of a bicycle or on a train or they may just carry them to get where they have to go. So we ask for your support and you support us. And we thank you for that support. But we ask first and foremost for your prayer support. This is the Lord's work and nothing happens without prayer. So we covet your prayers. And we ask that you'd support us financially as your church does. And and there's several ways you can do that. And one, as Pastor mentioned, there's Gideon cards in the back. We'll give you the cards if you'll donate Bibles in memory of someone, in recognition of a special occasion, or just because I'm thinking of you. So you can use those cards because every time you send a card... A dollar and twenty-five cents will furnish somebody a New Testament. For five dollars, you can give them a whole Bible. Okay, it's a Bible or a testament that could reach someone like Joplin. Joplin was a young man at age sixteen. He was getting into drugs. His life was spiraling out of control. But one day, he got a testament when he was leaving his school. And he kind of tucked it away and ignored it. And he said by the time he was a senior in high school, his drug habit was so bad that he actually OD'd in school one day and wound up, woke up in the nurse's office. He did manage to graduate high school. And he said when he hit age 20, his life was getting so bad, he seriously considered suicide. But then the thought crossed his mind, what would I do if there was really a hell? And he remembered that little testament. And he took it out and he started to read and he got to Matthew 7. It says, ask, seek, and find. Everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds. And him that knocks, it shall be opened. And Joplin couldn't understand that verse, but he knew he was part of everyone. So he's prayed. He said, God, I'll give you 30 days to show me you're real. And then it said, seek. And he thought, well, maybe he ought to quit doing some of his bad stuff and he ought to go to church. So the first two weeks he went to his hometown church and everybody there knew him. They knew what kind of guy he was, and they were pretty cold. He said he didn't feel comfortable there at all. So the third Sunday, he went to a church where nobody knew him. Ways away, nobody knew him. And he said after the service, an elderly, gray-haired lady tapped him on the shoulder and said, Son, have you been here before? And he said, No, ma'am, I haven't. And she said, Would you come again? And he said, you know, she didn't say anything about my baggy jeans. 
She didn't say anything about my tongue ring or my long hair. Just, would you come back again? So the next Sunday, he went back there, and the pastor preached with power. And he thought to himself, I don't know what that guy's got, but I would like some of it. And then God, that little voice in the back of his head, reminded him about the 30 days. So he went forward, confessed his sins, and and just said, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. He said God changed him right then. He no longer had a desire for drugs or alcohol. And he, he accepted Christ. And today... He's Reverend Joplin. The Lord used him that way. And so I want you to, there, there's another opportunity that we have that's brand new, and it's an opportunity to be a friend of a Gideon. I'll leave one of these or several in the back after the service if you're interested in that. But I just want to say that when you get to heaven, somebody's going to run up and hug you. And say, thank you for giving to the Lord, because I was a life that was saved. All right, if you have any questions about the Gideons or the ministry, Dick would be more than willing to help answer any of those that you have after church. And the church itself will be giving a gift to the Gideons as well, too, just to continue to support that ministry and to bless that ministry as well. So, all right, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Like I said, we're also going to be going to Jeremiah 17 and Romans 8 here this morning. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning just for the time of fellowship and worship and just the time to come together. And I pray for this next hour that you'd help us to really stop and focus on you. Prepare our hearts for communion. Prepare our hearts for what you have in store that we just truly may be the people you've called us to be. Help us to learn and to grow by your word, by your spirit in all ways and all things. We stop and say thank you for the opportunity and the blessing to be here in your name. Amen. Continue our study here through the book of Matthew. We've been in the uh, Sermon on the Mount here for the last couple weeks. And if you remember correctly, back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that this is a message given to us, to disciples, on how to live purely in an impure world. How to live for Christ in a world that doesn't want to live for Christ. So he started out the message by talking about obedience of the heart, but specifically outward obedience. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, etc., But he went one step further and he says, I just don't want the outward obedience because I want your heart. I don't want you going around and not committing those acts, but I want in your heart to not have anger towards somebody, not to have lust. So it's not about what the outward obedience, but it's about your heart. Last couple weeks, we were talking about righteous acts that are good, fasting, prayer, investing for the Lord. But once again, Jesus said, it's not that I want those outward acts of righteousness. He goes, I want your heart. I want you to do it for the reward from me. He doesn't want outward obedience. He doesn't want outward acts of righteousness. He wants your heart. 
And that's what we're kind of continuing on this theme today. It's building up to verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Are we truly seeking him first, putting him first and how we live and how we act as believers in this world that does not believe? So with that being said, let's finish up Matthew chapter 6 today, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they are neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If we were making a list of the biggest sins affecting the church today, I doubt that we would put worry at the top of that list. Worry is one of those sins that we just don't really look at as being wrong. We just worry. That's the type of people we are. And we have all these strange little beliefs when it comes to worry. That's almost one of these things of um, being like a genetic thing. You know, my mom was a worrier, so I'm a worrier. You don't inherit that. That's a choice we make. Worrying is a sin. What makes worrying a sin? Because really what worrying is, it's a lack of trust in God. We don't trust God to see us through this issue, this problem, what have you, so we worry about it. And when Jesus tells us not to do something, and he tells us very specifically in verse 25, do not worry. If we do something that Jesus says not to do, that is sin. It's lack of trust in God. So think about this for a little bit. How often is God trying to tell us, trust me? One of the verses we quote a lot out here, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's what he's asking us to do. Trust him with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What happens when you worry? When you worry, you're not trusting the Lord with all your heart. And you are leaning on your own understanding. You're analyzing the situation from every angle you can think of. You're going to think of a solution to this. This is your burden. This is your responsibility to get this figured out. And so therefore you lean on your own understanding instead of trusting the Lord. So really what worrying is, it's a lack of trust in God that he is going to meet our needs and take care of us, be it emotionally, spiritually, or physically. Go with me to Jeremiah 17, please. Jeremiah 17. Because there's a blessing in trusting the Lord that he will meet our needs, take care of us in all ways and all things. Jeremiah 17. Let's go ahead and start here in verse 7 of Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. Blessed literally means happy. Happy is the man who trusts in the Lord. When you are trusting in the Lord and not walking in fear, worry, or anxiety, you will have peace. You will be blessed with that joy of knowing that your Father is going to take care of you. And you will have hope in Him. Because look at verse 8. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. There's that visible picture there that you're planted by the waters of God. It reminds me a lot of Psalm 1. And as you plant yourself by Christ, your root system grows deeper and deeper. So therefore, when all the fear and worry and anxiety of the world comes against you, you are rooted strong in Christ. 
So therefore, worry does not get the best of you. Verse 8. Will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. Will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So when the difficult times of life come, you're secure, you're safe, because you are rooted and grounded in Christ. You're walking in trust and hope and not fear, worry, or anxiety. Worrying is a sin because it gets our eyes off Jesus and it gets it on the situation. Think about how many times in the Bible Christ is telling us just to focus on him. You know, in Hebrews, he is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So I'm everything. I'm your beginning. I'm your end. I'm your start. I'm your finish. So keep your eyes on me. Think back to Peter when Peter was walking on water. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on water. As soon as he got his eyes off Christ and on the storms and the waves, the Bible says he sank. Same thing happens to us today. Whatever situation you're facing, whatever you brought in this morning, as long as you keep your eyes on Christ, you can walk on the water. But it's when you get your eyes off the Lord and you start focusing on the situation instead of the Savior, you're going to sink. You're going to sink in fear, worry, and anxiety. We keep our eyes on the prize, and the prize is Christ. So what do we worry about? Verse 25 tells us that we worry about food, we worry about drink, we worry about clothes, we worry about our body, or we worry about everything. So what does the scripture say about these things? First off, about food. David wrote in Psalm 37 that he's never seen the righteous suffer for bread. God will always meet your needs. Please do note as we go through this message this morning, the understanding the difference between needs and wants, God will always meet your needs. He may not meet all your wants, but he will meet your needs. And that when we put him first, he will always make sure you have the food to take care of you. He will always make sure you have the clothes to take care of you. He will always make sure your needs are being met. Think back to when Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Every morning they had manna, they had quail at night. They were taken care of in all ways and all things. I got a couple of scriptures I want to put up here real quick of this. Just to kind of remind us. Look at these passages. Deuteronomy 29.5. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. One step further, look at Nehemiah 9.21. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Feet did not swell. 40 years of walking in the wilderness. And one more, Deuteronomy 8, 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet foot swell these 40 years. Now, you've heard me say this many times before. Anytime the Lord says something once, it's important. When he's repeating the same point three times, I think he's trying to get a point across to you. The God you serve, the God you serve took care of millions of people in the wilderness their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. Their shoes did not wear out. They had bread in the morning. They had quail. They had everything they needed. And God is basically saying, if I took care of them, can I not take care of you? So why do we worry about these things when we serve a God that has proven himself again and again and again that he will always meet our needs and take care of us? So this takes us to our next point here. Keep your hand in Matthew 6, because we're coming right back. But go to Romans 8, please. Romans 8. So we serve this God that will always meet our needs. He will always take care of us. We don't have to suffer for bread or food or water, what have you. He will take care of us financially. He'll take care of us in our health. He'll take care of us in all ways and all things. The question is, do we trust him? 
Look at Romans 8, and this is a verse I want you to keep in the back of your mind. We're going to make many references to this this morning, and we're going to eventually take this verse with us into communion this morning. Look at Romans 8, verse 31. What shall then we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Keep this point simple. If God was willing to give you his son, what is he going to hold back from you? If he is willing to give you salvation for all of eternity through the blood of Christ, do you really think he's going to drop the ball in providing your daily necessities? He will get you through whatever you have. Just a couple weeks ago, we taught on the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about the importance of the daily faith and trust in the Lord. And what Romans 8 is saying here, once again, if God would not spare his own son for us, will he not also take care of anything you could ever imagine? I can't imagine the Lord saying, James, I got you covered for all of eternity with the blood of Christ, but I'm sorry, I don't got any food for you. He will always meet our needs. He will always take care of us. Keep that in the back of your mind. So now Christ gives some just practical examples of this. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I've never seen a worried bird. I... Sesame Street, big bird gets worried sometimes, but he really, we're not going to use him as an example. But typically speaking, most birds don't get too worried. God the Father just provides for them. God knows about them. The Bible says that he knows when the sparrow falls. Think about the next time you hit a bird with your car. God notices that. He sees that. He says in verse 26, I take care of them. And look at this little phrase at the end of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? goes back to our passage in Romans 8. Are you not of more value than they? So if God will take care of the birds, is he not going to take care of his children? If God takes care of nature, is he not going to take care of his children? He has not withheld any good thing from you. He has given you Christ. Verse 27, which of you by worrying could add one cubit to his stature? That literally means who can add 18 inches or some inches to their height. Some of your translations, who can add time to your day or length to your hours? Worrying adds nothing to you. Nothing. Think of all the time that has been lost to worry, the sleep that's been lost to worry, the joy that's been lost to worry, time with kids, time with spouse, time with family, lost to worry. See, when I get worked up and worried about something, I do one of two things. First one is I have a tendency to back off and kind of seclude myself. And so what happens is in this time of fear, worry, or anxiety, I kind of shut down. And that time that's lost, the kids want to come up and do something. Dawn wants to come up and do something. And what am I doing? I'm too busy worrying. And what has worrying done, right? Nothing. Nothing. Heard a great quote about this. Worrying works. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. I like this one too. A day of worry is more exhausting than a week of work. Oh, that's the truth. A day of worry is more exhausting than a week of work. It's exhausting to worry about stuff. It's exhausting to think about it from every angle. When you serve a God that says, hey, if I took care of the millions in the wilderness, if I take care of the birds, if I take care of everything, will I not take care of you? Financially, emotionally, spiritually, I will take care of any need you have. He says, but can you trust me? Can you trust me on these things? Because what good comes out of worrying? Verse 27. Nothing. Nothing. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So you see these beautiful flowers here. As we're coming into spring, you're going to see the flowers pop up. They're not spending their time, energy, and effort collecting thread or yarn to make themselves look nice. God just blesses them. And God is saying, if I take care of them, will I not take care of you? Verse 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The natural beauty is more amazing than we can ever imagine of what we have even as a human. If you want a little bit more study on verse 29, I encourage you, write down 1 Kings 4. 1 Kings 4 goes into detail about everything that Solomon's kingdom needed just to get through a day. And that was the most glorious kingdom that Israel had ever seen. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, this natural beauty that God just takes care of with the flowers is even more amazing than that. Verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That This grass... This grass that right now we're having this exciting time of year. We would look out the window and it's becoming green. You drive through and the wheat fields are becoming green. And we're into spring. It's fun. It's exciting. In just a couple months, we're going to be cursing, going out, having to mow all the time. And what God is basically saying right here is, listen, that grass, that's just going to be cut and thrown in the oven. But yet I take care of it. And if that grass that I take care of, that is just so quickly mowed down, sprayed over, dug up, what have you, if I take care of that, Will I also not take care of you? See, now here's the hard part about this. There's nothing difficult theologically in this message today. There's nothing. You guys know this. I'm supposed to trust. I'm not supposed to worry. I give all my fear, worry, and anxiety over the Lord, and He takes care of me. He has proven Himself time and time again. So why am I still walking in fear, worry, and anxiety? There has to come a time and a place where we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I have no control over this situation in any way whatsoever, and I need to trust you. I need to trust you. And even if I think I have control, I do not want my earthly wisdom to guide any decision I have in life. I want to give it all over to you. Because it's you that can lead me and guide me. It's you that can do this. How long does it take for us to learn that lesson? I mentioned at the first service... One time I was taking uh, Doris Spangler home from the hospital after visiting Howard. And we were just talking on the way home. And Doris made a comment to me that said, uh, she doesn't worry about anything. She doesn't worry about anything. So I started uh, thinking about that. And I went up to talk to Doris there a couple months later. And Doris, how old are you? 90? 91? 90. Doris is 90. So I started talking to her a couple months ago. And I asked her one time, I said, you told me a couple months ago that you really said you don't worry about anything. And I remember her saying, Pastor... She goes, after 90 years on this earth, what do I have to worry about? God is taking care of everything. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, and I encourage you to talk to Doris, learn her testimony, learn what the Lord has done in her life. Basically, it's after nine decades on this earth where God has proven faithful enough. Why does she need to worry? And I hope it doesn't take me another 50 years to learn that lesson. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? What's there to worry about? You know, uh, just about a year ago, Marlene Kreider passed away. And I know many of you knew Marlene worshipped with us out here for years, had cancer, and she passed away. But I can remember her telling me in the midst of the treatments and the scans, what is there to worry about? I'm in God's hands. And what a walking testimony of that, of what is there to worry about? Verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But we still do, right? 
I still look at the bottom line of the checkbook. I still look at the health. I still look at the health of my kids, my friends, my families, my loved ones. And what it really is is lack of trust is, Lord, I want to be in charge of this situation. And God says, can't you just trust me? Can't you just trust me? Because nothing good comes out of it in any way whatsoever. And let me repeat the point one more time. If God gave you Jesus, what will he ever hold back from you? Absolutely nothing. See, verse 32, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Some of your translations may say the non-believers or the pagans. This is what the unbelieving world does, as Jesus is saying here. Because they worry, but you guys don't have to worry. Your Father takes care of you. They worry. Listen, if you're a non-believer, you should be worried. Because there is an eternity, there is a heaven, and there is a hell. And as a non-believer, if you're not right with Christ, that is a worry. And as a non-believer, if you're trying to walk through this world without the support of your Father, your Heavenly Father, I would be worried too, because you are the one that's worrying about putting food on the table. You should. You're the one that has to worry about the checkbook. You're the one that has to worry about the health concerns. See, as a believer, I can just go to my Father and say, Dad, I, ha- I need help with this. And it's amazing how just talking to your Father brings such a peace, doesn't it? My, my boys love to come up and just talk to me. And so what will happen is we'll be in the room and they'll be like, Dad, I, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, let's just talk right now. No, I need, to, I need to talk to you privately. So what happens is it becomes a trickle-down effect. So the next thing you know, everybody needs to talk privately. So it eventually gets to the point of Tyrus, who's three years old, and he needs to talk privately. What does a three-year-old have to have a private conversation about? So we'll go in the bedroom and Tyrus just sits there and smiles. That's his talk. <laughs> But Elias is, uh, you know, Elias is going to be turning 11 here in a week or two, and he is, he's my worrier. And so when he needs to make an appointment with me, he doesn't come up and say, Dad, I want to talk. He actually writes out a note, and he'll say, Dad, I'd like to meet with you in 15 minutes in your room, please. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I save all of his notes because I love him. And he'll come in. He'll come in with an agenda. I am not making this up. And as we go through it, I'll be like, okay, Dad, I'm worried about what to get for my birthday. Okay, we'll talk about it. Checks it off. And he just goes through. He just goes through. But there's a peace and a comfort in talking to Dad. Now, the same thing should happen for us spiritually. You're worried about something here this morning. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a finance issue, maybe it's just a life issue. Why don't you talk to your dad? See, that's building that relationship with him and saying, Lord, I'm not the Gentile, I'm not the pagan, I'm not the non-believer. I'm yours. And look at the last part of verse 32. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not surprised by your needs. He knows them. He says, I'm here for you. I will meet your needs. I will withhold no good from you. What does he ask us to do? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He says to seek me first. Put me first. That word for seek in the Greek is a very powerful word. This continuous constant action of seeking God in all ways and all things. Not this little ho-hum, oh maybe I'll pray about it or maybe I'll crack my Bible open. Maybe I'll see a church Sunday. No, it denotes an effort, a focused effort to say this is what is my primary focus in life. You know, when we started out this year, that's what we said for the first 40 days. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his all his righteousness. To really say, Lord, we want this to be a body of believers and as individuals. That is all we care about is you. Because nothing else matters. So we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's, let's see the kingdom here on this earth, but it's also his righteousness. Because when I seek his righteousness, just a fancy word that means to be made right. I realize I don't have to make myself right. Isn't that freeing? 
I don't have to worry about my salvation. I don't have to worry about earning enough good to get to heaven. I don't have to worry about any of that because the Lord just says, seek my righteousness and I'll take care of everything for you. And when you get your eyes on Christ in eternity, everything else falls into place. Problem is too often we have our eyes on the circumstances of the situation rather than our Savior. If you keep your eyes on the situation rather than the Savior, you'll walk in fear, worry, and anxiety. You will. Just back to our example of Peter walking on the water. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he did not sink. But when we get our eyes off Christ, we sink. Are we truly seeking him and putting him first in all that we say or do? When that happens, all of a sudden all that matters are souls in eternity. We got a little saying we use in the Irvin house if somebody comes up and they're kind of worried about something that's popping up in the next day, week, month, year, whatever. Our first response usually is, you know what, Jesus may return before then. If he's going to return, we don't need to worry about it. Because if our eyes are in eternity, why are we worrying about anything that this world could bring to us? Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus could return before tomorrow. That doesn't mean you don't have prayers of preparation. I'm a big fan of that. You've got a work situation coming up in a week, pray about it. You've got a situation that's bringing you a burden, pray about it. Give it over to the Lord. Search the scriptures for wisdom and guidance. But also in the back of your mind, realize, Lord, this is in your hands, not mine. I can't do anything about it. I have a quote here real quick I'm going to show you um, from Corrie ten Boom. If you've never read anything by Corrie ten Boom, I highly encourage you to read her autobiography, The Hiding Place. It's just an amazing story for you that don't know. Uh, she was part of the group in the Netherlands that hid the Jews during World War II. She was a believer, and that was her mission, was to hide the Jews from the Holocaust. Well, eventually she is caught, and she's thrown into concentration camps. So, but she has this great quote about worry. Look at this. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. That's the truth. I put all my time and energy worrying about tomorrow, which may not even come. So once again, I lose time to worry, to sleep. I I lose um, joy to worry. I lose time with my kids, time with my wife, time with ministry, all to worry. When really I just need to stop and say verse 34 is true. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, I give it to you. And I trust you are going to get me through this. So... Anything that's been said so far, I don't think any of us would disagree with. I shouldn't worry. I should trust the Lord. He's provided for Israel. He's provided throughout all generations. He'll provide for me. I know this. I believe this. Okay, how do I apply this practically now? Can you go with me real quick to Luke, please? Luke chapter 10. Let's look at a practical example of a warrior, what Jesus said to this person, and then we're going to close with the passages and applying it to our life. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. A classic story of Mary and Martha. Martha the warrior, Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, when I first taught 
on Mary and Martha years and years ago. I think the point I made was that the church needs Marys and the church needs Marthas. And that at a certain time, the Marys need to realize you can't sit at Jesus' feet all the time. You've got to get up and do something. And Marthas, you need to realize that sometimes you need to take a break and sit at the feet of Jesus. And the more I started studying out this passage, I realized that that's not what Jesus is saying in any way whatsoever. He's actually telling Martha, you're wrong. Mary's got it right. And I knew this for years, but I never wanted to teach that. You know why? Because Marthas are scary. Have you ever run into a Martha? If you call somebody a Martha, you are just picking a fight. They're the ones that say, I'll meet you outside the church after church. (laughs) People don't like being called Martha. They don't. Why? Because Jesus is actually very lovingly rebuking her. Okay, now think about this from Martha's perspective. Jesus is coming to her house. She's probably, as soon as she heard Christ was coming, she probably started cleaning. She probably started cooking. She was probably the person that when Christ was there with the disciples, that nobody's glass ever got empty. Anytime there was a dirty plate, it was taken away immediately. It was just always wonderful. You needed more food, it was always just right there. And as the day goes on, Martha starts looking at Mary just sitting there doing nothing. Nothing. See, remember I told you when I get worried, I do one of two things. The first one is I seclude myself and I just have my own little pity party. The other thing I do when I get worried is I get angry at those that aren't. See, when other people aren't worked up as much as me, that starts to bother me. So when I come home and I tell Dawn my worries, my fears, my anxieties, and she doesn't get worked up as much as I do, now I'm angry at her for not worrying like I'm worrying. So what happens is Martha is upset that Mary's doing nothing. Verse 40, she's distracted. Some translation, she's cumbered. She's over-occupied. That's a word in the original Greek that means it's a continuous action. She's never stopping. She's always thinking, always distracted, always working. And look at what she's doing, verse 40. You know why Marthas are scary? Because Marthas don't have a problem telling Jesus what to do. Martha, in verse 40, is telling Jesus what to do. Therefore, tell her to help me. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, that's love. You are worried and troubled about many things. There's our word worried, same Greek word that we talked about. But one thing is needed. See, this is what changed me when I started reading this. Martha, only one thing is needed. And that's to sit at my feet like Mary. That's the only thing that matters. You remember last week, we talked about how if the eye is good, the whole body is good. And that word literally means that the eye has a single-minded focus. And that single-minded focus is Christ. We just read in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus is making this continued point. I'm number one. Your eye is focused on me alone. Peter, walking on the waves, you focused on me alone, the author and finisher of your faith. Martha, only one thing is needed. It's not about the drinks being full, the dirty dishes put away, about the house being clean. It's not about it looking perfect, Martha. Verse 42, Mary got it. Just spend time with me. See, all of a sudden now I can let things go. I can let things go. Well, somebody's coming over and the house isn't perfect. Well, maybe there's going to be a ministry opportunity, so I'll be a Mary. And I come into church and well, what about this and what about that? It's getting my focus off that. No, I'm not going to be a Martha. I'm just going to be a Mary. I just want to sit at your feet, Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say I got it all figured out because I don't. But when I read these passages, it really just reminds me, all these things I get worked up about, God says, James, let it go. Just sit at my feet. Enjoy my presence. 
Because verse 42, it will not be taken away from you. So fine, you come over to my house, and I have everything looking perfect. My house is going to get dirty again. There's nine of us in there. So you come one Sunday, and everything flows wonderfully. Now next Sunday we'll screw it up. We can't keep it up. We're not perfect people. So what do we want to do? We just want to represent Jesus in all we do and all we say. Come sit at the feet of Jesus with us. Let's have a time of worship. Let's have a time of learning about him. Let's encourage one another, and then let's go out there and try to make a difference in the world. And that really becomes very freeing then. Because we can become over-occupied. We can become distracted with much service. We can get so focused on making everything perfect that we forget the simplicity of, I just want to know you, Christ. And once I know you, now it all comes together. That's the one thing that's needed. So there's an example of Jesus taking care of that. How do I apply this to my life? Here's our last passages. Can you go with me to Philippians, please? Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 4 specifically. Philippians 4 verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. That word for anxious for nothing is the same word as worried back in Luke 10, the same word as worried back in Matthew chapter 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's one of those verses that's almost too simple to teach. So what am I allowed to be anxious about? Uh, Nothing. What am I allowed to be worried about? Nothing. Okay, well, I got this bill coming. Yeah, God says don't worry about it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, I got this health issue. Yeah, God said don't worry about it. He says he's got it covered. Here's the problem with talking to someone who's a worrier. You can't change their mind. They will always see another thunderstorm coming over the horizon. They always will. And what it really comes down to is, and let me just be blunt, if you're a worrier, it's a sin because you're saying, I don't trust God enough to meet my needs. Well, that's not exactly what I'm saying, but that is what you're doing. Well, you know what? I just love my kids, my husband, my grandkids, my spouse so much, I just get worked up about them. Yeah, God loves them more than you do. And he's not worked up about them. It's a trust issue. So be anxious for nothing. Okay, well, I'll just be honest. I do get anxious. I get worried. Okay, what are you supposed to do then? Verse 6, prayer and supplication. Prayer is really just talking to God. That's what it literally means. And as I mentioned earlier, talk to your dad. Just like my boys talk to me. Talk to your dad. Father, I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. This this is eating at me. I'm going to give this to you. Supplication means to give your needs to him. Lord, you know my checkbook bottom line. I need some help. Lord, you, you know the struggles I'm having. I need some help. So I'm going to give these needs to you. And guess what happens when you do that? Verse 6, throw in some thanksgiving. Lord, I'm thankful you're going to meet my needs. Lord, I'm thankful you're going to provide for me. Lord, I thank you that even though I can't see the answer right now, you're going to do something amazing and great. I mentioned to you earlier, Marlene Kreider, when she was going through those cancer treatments, she used to tell me when she went in for these cancer scans and MRIs, she would just constantly listen to praise and worship. Just focus on the Lord and just give Him praise and thanks for what He's going to do. So, you're praying in advance, thankfulness. Lord, thank you for being a God that will meet my needs. Thank you for being a God that will take care of this. 
Let your request be made known to God. And guess what the response is? Verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That word for guard there is a military term, which means he literally puts a fort around your heart. To say, I'm going to protect your heart from worry, fear, and anxiety. Guys, verse 7 doesn't make sense. That's why it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. I can be in worry, fear, and anxiety, and I finally give it over to the Lord, and all of a sudden, there's peace. What has changed? Nothing. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is my perspective on the situation. And then there's a peace. And I have people come up to me and say, well, you know what? I was really worked up about this, and I prayed about it, I fasted about it, I gave it over to the Lord, and and now everything seems okay, and I, I don't know what to do. Just enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't make sense. I know, that's why it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. There's still a storm coming, but I'm really okay with that. Things are completely falling apart, but hey, praise Jesus, I'm okay with that. Because it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a moment where you stop and you say, Lord, it's you, not me. Okay, but my mind still jumps back to it. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So when your mind wants to wander to fear, worry, anxiety, it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, you take that thought captive and you say, I'm not going there. My mind wants to go back to the finances, go back to the health, go back to the relationships, go back to the failures, go back to the stresses of what's coming up. Nope, I take that thought captive and I say, instead, Lord, I'm going to meditate and praise on you. Praise on you. What does that look like practically? We got scriptures all over our house. Anywhere you walk, you're going to see a scripture that I hope reminds you of God's goodness. You know, Brooke lately has been writing scriptures in the bathroom mirror. So when you go in, the first thing you see in the morning is a brand new verse. And it just starts your day out right. Before we sit down and eat a meal, we take a passage and we just read one verse to get our mind focused on that. So scriptures, whatever you're worried, fearful, anxious about, find the verse in the Bible that deals with it. If you can't find it, let us know. We'll help you find it. Maybe you're going to an appointment or to a meeting and you're stressed about it. Praise music. I'm just going to praise you, Lord. In the middle of the storm, I'm going to praise you. Because that's what helps get me through. I tell you guys, Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8 work. They work. You throw in 2 Corinthians 10 of taking every thought captive. The system works. The question comes up, are we going to trust our Lord enough who will not withhold any good thing from us? He gave us Jesus. What would he remotely hold back from us? Now we can walk in strength and not worry, not fear, not anxiety. The guys want to come up that are helping with communion and the kids can come in. I just want to